don't like <laughs> and so but I, I, I thank the praise team you may take, take your seats uh, for what they did as they honor apostle then they honored me and uh, just excited and overjoyed uh, I'm, I'm going to settle down here uh, one thing as a man I was always taught that a man don't cry but then when I came to the kingdom of God I realized that that's not a sign of weakness. That vulnerability, that's not a sign of weakness. In the kingdom of God, that's strength. That shows that you have compassion. That shows that you have love. That shows that you have awareness and focus. That's what I had to learn because we had to put that old stigma down. And it's still going around in this nation today that real men don't cry. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because even Jesus wept. Jesus had compassion. Jesus was merciful. And it's so fitting to the message that I have here today, and I want men to understand this when you leave here today, that there's power in the love of a father. Mm -hmm. The love of a father. There's so much that you can understand and retain when I talk about the love of the father. Because the, the blueprint has been made when we look at our heavenly father. And how he loves us. And how he made us in the image of him. And how he continues to love us when we leave him and go astray. Go into our mess, wherever we're doing. But he's there with open arms to receive us. That's how much God loves us. So that's, as fathers, you may not know how to be a father. But if you read this blueprint that's in your Bible, he will teach you. How to be a father. But just not any kind of father. A father with love. The love of a father. Amen. Amen. And so I'm going to be a little unorthodox here. And I want you to bow your heads as I pray. And I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to lead me. Amen. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this word that's going to go forth today, Father. Lord, that I stand in the background and you speak through me. And, Father, I pray that grace will fall upon the hearers today, Father God. That everyone, Father God, when they leave here, they will not be the same, Father God. They will be in tune with your spirit, Father God. That no weapon formed against them shall prosper, Father God. But, Father God, that you would do a greater work in their lives, Father God, that they understand the power that you've given them, Father God. And, Lord, I pray, Father God, as we glorify you, Father God, that your people, Father God, be edified. And that your enemies be terrified. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. Amen. Again, I just want to uh, let, us, let us give our Heavenly Father a hand clap. Our Heavenly Father, who's Lord of our life, who's the emperor and creator of our life, who's given us life. Amen. Let's, you know, give him a hand clap. And then also as I move on, I want to give all the fathers. A hand clap. Father, give yourselves a hand clap. I would, I would want y'all to stand, but I, I don't want y'all to stand this day. This is the day that we're celebrating y'all. I want y'all to sit back like y'all in your recliner at home, your favorite recliner, with the remote in your hand. And if you leave, you come back, the remote ha is still in the same place. Amen. <laughs> Some of y'all don't know about that, huh? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I just want you to uh, give yourselves a hand clap because God has given me a message here to just encourage us today in the body of Christ, you know, 
This is not a message that, that, that I'm coming to beat you down because we've been beaten down enough. But this is a message of encouragement. This is a message of hope. This is the message to bring you to a place that you understand your position that God has assigned you to in this earth realm. You're the priest. You're the prophet. You're the leader. You're the visionary of your home. And I want you to understand that. I don't want the enemy to, to try to lie to you that you're not. But you are. And God has prepared you for that. Amen. And so I know, but before I move on, let me again acknowledge our man of God on this Father's Day, and that's Apostle Keith Reshaw. Come on, we can do better than that. We can do better than that. Amen. Because one thing I want to say before I move on is that what I'm about to say about Apostle is not what I heard what I see on an everyday basis. It's what I hear when we have conversations. And every time I'm around him, I'm not looking to talk. I'm looking to learn. I'm looking to learn. I'm studying him. And I see how he handles God's people. He handled them with care. He handled them as something that you all married women has your diamond ring and that's valuable to you. That's how he handles God's people. Even in his yes, and even in his nose. But it's the way that he loves God's people. And I watch him skillfully and attentively. And my prayer is to walk as he walked. I'm still learning. But I, again, I just want to just honor the man of God of this house. And how he leads with integrity. How he leads with love. How he loves his wife. How he loves his kids. Oh, my boy, Clue Mason. He ain't in there, so I threw that in there. I like messing with Mason, y'all. And so as I, as I go, I want to stay, kind of stay to the script. And like I say, I'm going to minister to you, give you what God has given me, and I'm, and I'm going to get out your way. Because, again, you know, this, this is a great day that we're celebrating here on Father's Day. And uh, moms, last month was your month, your, your month, but today is Father's Day month. Amen? And so, again, I'm not going to keep you long because one thing I'll say that, us as fathers, if you leave here today, I'm going to tell you how great they're going to treat you. If you go to a restaurant, you ain't got to wait. You ain't going to have to wait no long line. You're going to be ready to go right in there and sit down as a king. The mothers, on the other hand, last month, you had to wait. But it's something about these fathers. We ain't going to have to wait. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. And so, again, as we celebrate this day, as as we recognize the fathers. And again, we have been beaten down so much. Society, the world, right. and things we, you know, some things we brought on ourselves. But the fact of the matter, we have been beaten down so much. And so I want to encourage you this morning. I want to give you hope and encouragement. Amen? Because one of the things is that to some, this may be a great day. That you're here as a father with your families. You may be here with, as a father with your father, which makes a grandfather. And, you, and, and you, you, you're excited. But to some, it may not be a great day. It may not be as great because it's still fresh to you that 
Your father may have been going on to heaven. And so when this day is brought up, you have all kinds of emotions and feelings because of what a great father he was to you. Amen. What he instilled in you, what he modeled to you that you can take. And at this time that you remember how loving and caring he was. And to others, it might not be such a great day because of broken relationships. Because some of us never probably have met their fathers. Amen. Some of us may not have even met their, their fathers. And so right now when they, when they say we honor the fathers, that may not resonate good with you. That may not resonate great. All kind of emotions come about. Amen. But it's time that we change the narrative. Because if you haven't met your father as young men, I believe God is going to make you an exception. You're going to change the narrative. You're going to be the example. You're going to break that generational curse on how you treat your kids. I'm talking about the love of a father. How are you going to show them compassion and love? Amen? You're going to, God's going to make you an exception. And so fathers, I want to say this. We do a great job in telling our sons and showing our kids that, you know, we must have a job. That if a man don't work, a man don't eat. Uh, we, 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 we tell our sons that a man must provide for his family. We tell them uh, that a man must uh, provide for his wife, provide for his family. You know, we do all those things and those are great, but we drop the ball in telling them that a man must first love God. Come on, sir. It's more than providing. It's about loving God, that a man must love God. A man must love his wife, not only provide, but love her. The man must love his kids. Amen. We drop the ball on that and we tell in, 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 in this Foolishness that's going around that we have to get rid of that we sometimes tell them that what makes you a man is when you make a baby. That's a lie from the pit of hell. A dog and a gorilla can make a baby. What makes you a man when you make a baby is you being responsible. Are you responsible in the decisions that you made? Are you responsible to take care of that child and give the nurturing and the needs that this child needs? Or are you going to run away? No, we're not running away no more. We're not running away no more. So we, you know, we dropped the ball at that. And we also dropped the ball and tell them that, guess what? Be devoted to one woman. We can't be running all over town. We can't have no spare ribs. And I ain't talking about the ribs y'all about to put on the grill. Side pieces. Extra relationships. We dropped the ball in there. See, sometimes, you know, at one time, and it still is, that that's, 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 they, they laugh at that. They, they, they abstain that. I remember being young in the barbershop, and it still goes on. The barber asked you how many girlfriends you had. You see what I'm saying? We got to break that foolishness. And we need to tell our young men that, no, you have to be devoted to one wife. You have to love the Lord. You have to love the Lord. When you're devoted to a woman, when you're devoted to your wife, you have to show compassion. We have to change the narrative. Because see, that word fatherhood is slowly diminishing in this society today. That's a loose word because we don't understand. Because we have come up with our own understanding of what a father should be. That's the world and society and what we have incorporated. But guess what? It states what a man should be by the word of God. A man is the priest. He's the prophet. He's the leader. He's the visionary of his home. Men, do you have a visionary? Do you have a vision for your family? What is the vision for your family? What you have set before them that they must follow? Because guess what? You're the leader. 
You're the leader. They're looking to you. So it's imperative that, guess what? You get in that word. And I know sometimes that we, we, we realize that as men, as husbands, that the wife sometimes is the most spiritual person she can pray. But guess, guess what? How many know God will meet you where you at? If you get before your family, grab their hands, and all you can say is, Lord, bless my home, he will honor that. Jesus, bless my kids, he will honor that. God will meet you where you are. He will honor right where you are. But I also can tell you this, that if we take an hour or two out from watching that TV all day and get before the Lord in this Bible, he increase increase our prayer life. If we take time off and riding a motorcycle with the, the motorcycle club and get before God, he'll help us. He'll increase that. It's all kind of things. See, we have to tell these young men that, guess what? A man shouldn't be just caught up in his pleasure. A man shouldn't be just caught up in his toys. Come on now. That a man is responsible. Men, you have to be the go-to person. When the, when, when, when the mother says, go ask your dad. Are you, not, are you the person that, the, that your kid's going to go to or they don't want to go to? Because they're going to say, Dad ain't going to listen. Dad ain't here. Dad at work. Dad tired. It has to be a balance. I'm not saying that, you know, work is not important, but it has to be a balance. Because what happens in a marriage is that we get so caught up in, in, in family life and we don't, get, we don't have a balance that, guess what, as beautiful as those kids is, we get up, caught up going to the soccer games, the cheerleading games, all those things, as beautiful as those kids is, one day they're going to leave. And you're going to be left there, and you hadn't developed a relationship with your husband or your wife, and you're looking across from one another and saying, who is that? And they're saying, who is that? Because you haven't had that balance. There should be date night. There should be family nights. There should be balance in that. Man, we work too much. Are we working for a purpose? Are we working for toys? Are we working to buy the next Harley Davidson? What are we working so hard at? Because it's imperative that, guess what? What we model to our kids is what they're going to do. Men, if you have daughters, can you honestly say that I want her to marry someone like me? And I know we're going to say, I want her to marry someone better. But no, she should marry someone like you. And truth be told, as much problem as y'all have, if y'all don't even have a great relationship, she's going to marry someone like you. That's the truth be told. She's going to marry someone like you. She's going to marry what she's seen modeled, whether you was there or not. You don't understand this thing is spiritual. Even if you're not there, she's going to marry. She may have never seen you, but she's going to marry someone like you. And to your sons, they're not going to marry someone like you, but they're going to get married. But they're going to treat their wife just like you treat your wife, treat their mother. What are you modeling? Whether you're there or not, what are you modeling? That's the question. And so we have to get this, we have to get this thing right. See, we have to get to a place that men, we're taking back our rightful place as men of the home. We're praying. We're prophesying. We, 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 we're setting the presence of God in our homes. That the presence of God is so strong when I leave my house and come back, when I, before I enter the door, the presence of God is so strong. Guess what? Before I enter, I can take my arm off. You don't need to be walking in your house with your arm on. 
Or armor is for battling. You don't need to walk in your house and battling. Because if you got to go in your house with your armor on and battling, something you did wrong. So you hadn't set the atmosphere in there. It's not on them. It's on you to set the atmosphere in that house. You're the priest. You're the prophet. You should set that atmosphere. It's enough that you left and you had to put your armor on. Because when you go on these jobs, you go on these grocery stores, wherever you go, you're going to need your armor. But to come back home and wear your armor because you hadn't set the atmosphere, that's on you. You have to set the atmosphere. You have to pray. And like I told you, it's not a long drawn on prayer. God will meet you right where you're at. Amen? God will meet you right where you're at. So we got to change this narrative. And again, I'm not here just to you know, beat you down on this day. But I want to help you to change the narrative. Because I know what I seen modeled. My parents was divorced. But my dad was still there. Weekends, summers. But I seen what was modeled. Papa was a rolling stone. Yeah. And then I found out who I never met, grandfather, he picked up the stone he had in his pocket. 19 kids. And trust me, they wasn't all for one woman. Yeah. So, imagine, you know, I look at my dad, might have met some of his brothers and sisters, didn't even know along the way. We got to change that narrative. That making a baby doesn't make you a man. What makes you a man is you being responsible. You being responsible. And I'm going to show you, I got some statistics. And like I said, I'm going to just walk, walk it on down and allow the Holy Spirit to lead me. But these are statistics according to the data collected by Promise Keepers and the Baptist, uh, Baptist Press. With a Europe, it's a European study that was done in Switzerland by the Lutheran Church. These are, these are some interesting statistics. Can we put up the first one? No, they left me. Okay. Uh, don't worry, I got it. <laughs> it says... If a father does not go to church, even if his wife does, only one child in 50 will become a worshiper. Let me say that again. It says, if the father does not go to church, even if the mother does, one child in 50 will become a worshiper. Do you understand your presence, men? Do you understand the power you have that you change situations? But we must change the situation for the better. And you might say as a, as a single mom, a single parent, where does that leave me? Can I encourage you this morning? That God delights to be the exception to those who love and trust him. You believe God to make you the exception, single mother. You believe God to help you, that he's going to make you exception to the rule that a woman can't raise a, a child, a man. You believe God to make you exception. He's going to help you. And I know it's difficult being by yourself, but God said, I'll be a father to the fathers. He said, I'll be a father to the father. I'm going to help you. And the reason why he will help you, he know that, guess what, when you call upon him and he steps in and when somebody asks you, Carol, how did you raise such beautiful God-fearing ch- children? He, he already know you're going to say, but God. But God, I had nothing to do with it. I called upon God. I didn't know where else to turn. And God showed up and showed out each and every time. Even though that joker ran, he wasn't there. God stepped up and he stood out and he helped me raise his kids. I had nothing to do with it. He said, I'll be a father to the fatherless. God would help you. So I want that to be encouraging to you, ladies. 
I want that to be encouraging to you. I want that to be encouraging to you. And one thing I want to say, and this, this is not a deal breaker. The Holy Spirit just brought it up. But this is a red flag for women. If you meet a man and he doesn't like his mother, or he has issues with his mother, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. Now, it may be something that he saw that scarred him at a young age. That's a red flag because his perception of you might be what he saw in his mother, even though he hates that. Anything you do. So that's something that's uh, something you need to get a hold of, get to the root of. It's not a deal breaker, but it's a red flag. It should be something that should be communicated. And ladies, get these men to communicate. Get these men to open up their mouth. Amen. And so back to my statistics. It said that if the father does not go to church, remember I said that? Even if the mother does, one in 50 child will be a worshiper. That's astonishing. That's astonishing. One in 50. Statistics says this. Where the father regularly attends church, even if the mother doesn't go, 66% of the children will attend church. See how that change comes? Come on, man. Do you understand the power you have? Do you understand your presence, how you can change situations? Look how that, look how that percentage has jumped up into the positive. When you lead your family to church, when you model Christ-likeness before your kids, that's what you're leaving. That's the legacy you're leaving them, that they're going to church, that they're following what you set before them. It's not necessarily what you say to these kids, but it's most necessarily what they see. They're going to do what they see. You know, we always tell them, don't do as I say, do as I do, or, or however it is. Don't, don't do like me, but do as I say. No, they're going to do what they see. Amen? We got to understand we're examples. And this is my last statistic. When both the mother and father attend church, look at this. 75% of the children will attend church. When you on one accord, operating as husband and wife, under the authority of God, under the covenant of God that's given you as a husband and wife, there's power in there. The atmosphere is being set. You're leaving a legacy for your kids. You're leading them in the right direction. You're not just holding them off the kids. And understand this, parent. Just don't haul your kids off the church. But sit down and explain the word. Minister to them. Ask them what's going on. In their lives. Because sometimes we wonder like. We, I brought every time the church doors was open. I was with my kids. I brought them in. But you never sat down to minister to them. You never sat down to teach them. What was going on. And so the very thing that you brought them to. The very thing, thing that you thought they should love. They started hating. Can, can I get some witnessing? You wonder why every time the church doors open. I brought little Timmy. I brought little Jenny. But now they, I don't know where they are. Because you hadn't sat down to minister to them, to teach them the proper nutrients of the word of God. What's going on? What is God is doing? How to love God and how much God loves you. Amen. Again, how many know that God loves you? <laughs> how many know that God loves you? How many know that God loves you? See, there's a power. There's power in the love of a father. There's power in the love of a father. Hallelujah. And so, 
I'm getting to the part of the message I want to convey to you all. And it's fitting with the title, The Love of the Father. And I'm coming from Luke 15, from verse 11 all the way through 24. And it's, and it's probably a very uh, famous passage, famous story. It's about the prodigal son. But what I want to get you in tune with is the love of the father. How much he loved this child. Even when his child left him, like most of us have experienced, whatever reason, even when they found themselves hoovering over a hog pen, even when they still was a far way off, God still saw them. And he was there with open arms to receive. Hallelujah. That's what I'm getting at, the love of a father. How much that means. And I'm I'm going to set some background here because before I start in that same chapter, Jesus gives three parables in the 15th chapter of Luke. And they all are dealing with something of value that has been lost. He deals with something of value that has been lost. Anybody ever lost anything of value? And see, the first parable, the praise team, they ministered to apostle. And it was saying, the first parable, he has a parable about a lost sheep. A shepherd has a hundred sheep, and he loses one, and he leaves the 99 and go find the one. Anybody here grateful and thankful that God will leave the rest to come after you? He will leave all the rest to come after you because that's how valuable you are to him. He will leave everything else to come after you because you that valuable. He didn't say, well, okay, I, I had 100, now I just got 99, that's okay. No, you're that valuable. You're the one. Say to yourself, you're the one. You're the one that's valuable to him. And he will leave all else to come after you. That's how much I'm trying to convey to you how much the Lord loves you. He loves you that much. And that's how the love of a father should be towards their children. That's why we shouldn't be flying or going flight. But showing that love. That the blueprint is right here on how to love. The second parable deals with a lost coin. There's a coin that's lost. A woman loses a coin in her house and she searches it for it and she sweeps diligently all over the place. Until she finds it. It again convey the story of how much God loves you. How much valuable you are to him. That he would turn everything upside down to go and find you and save us when we are lost. There's no door that's shut too hard that he won't open. There's no rock or mountain too heavy that he will not move. He would turn everything upside down for his children because that's how valuable you are to him. And that's how much he loves you. God loves you so much. Amen? And so this third parable is what I want to deal with. The the third parable is about the prodigal son. The prodigal son. A wasteful, raggedy, living son. Prodigal son. The lost son. It's a story about a father who had two sons. And, I, and like I said, I'm not going to keep you long. I want to walk you down here to set, set the ground rules for this. And I'm going to get out your way. It says in verse 11. Follow with me, media. Because it's important. All right. Then he said, 
a certain man had two sons, and the young of them said to his father, Give me the portion of good that falls to me. Let me stick a pen in here. Because the mentality of this young man is a lot like people are today. We want, the, we want our parents' inheritance that is not due to us until they die. And we want it now. You see, be careful what you ask for. He wanted the inheritance. And a lot of us, we want Jesus' inheritance and don't understand why he died. We don't understand why he died. But see, because if you don't understand the purpose of something, abuse is inevitable. You're going to abuse that thing if you don't understand the purpose. And so he asked for his inheritance. And he, he wanted his inheritance that was not debt yet due to him. Anybody know anything about inheritance? You don't get it until the parents die. But he wanted it now. And verse 12 said, So he came to his father and said to his father, Give me my portion of good that falls to me. So the father did an amazing thing. Without debate, he divided between them. He didn't say like some of y'all would say, if y'all, if y'all kids come to you and say, give me my hand, boy, get out of my face. You better sit your butt down. He did an amazing thing. He didn't debate. He didn't say anything. And he divided it between both of them. In other words, he took what he worked so hard for. He took his livelihood and he divided it between the two sons. He didn't ask a question. He didn't say nothing. He, he did it instantly. And verse 13 said, and not many days later the youngest son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and there he wasted his possessions with raggedy, nasty, jacked up living. He took his inheritance like all immature people do and spent it like there was no tomorrow. He took his father's livelihood. He took what his father had worked hard for And he spent it foolishly, just like all immature people. Verse 14 says that, but when he had spent all, and that's what all immature people do, they spent like there's no tomorrow. They spent all like that one day that they they may not be employed. They don't think about tomorrow. The old folks folks used to say that one day it's going to rain. They spent all they had not realizing that one day they're going to need something to draw from. But it said that he spent all. It said he spent all. Hallelujah. And verse 14 again. And there arose a famine. Because he spent all. But there arose a famine. And in the land and he began to be in want. He went from having plenty to having nothing. He went from having it all to having nothing. He made it rain in the club. He did whatever he He lived any kind of way he was. He did not think about tomorrow. He wasted it all. And the scriptures say, now he began to be in want. Just like all immature people. He had left the confounds and the protection of his father. Because he thought he knew it all. And verse, 10, verse 15 said, Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the field to feed swine. He connected with someone that gave him a job, and that job was to feed dirty, low-down, filthy, stinking hogs. He thought he connected with somebody that was going to help him. They helped him all right. They gave him a nasty job of feeding swine because he began to be in want. He didn't have anything. 
And so it said he joined himself to a citizen of that country. I don't know about any of y'all if y'all know anything about raising hogs. When I was young, my aunts and my uncle, when she married into a family, and they had a farm as big as the eye I could see. And I can remember going there. And one part of the section of the farm is where they raised hogs. Nasty, filthy, smelly, sloppy hogs. It was hogs. And that's the job he had. He was to go down there and feed the hogs. The nasty, smelly, sloppy hogs. He wasn't doing that in his father's house. And verse 16 said, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the, fig, the, with the pig food because no one gave him anything. See, you can live your life so raggedy and disrespectful enough. You can live your life so raggedy and long enough that guess what? No one would be willing to help you. That's a true fact. No one would be willing to help you. He helped nobody and nobody helped him. You can live your life in such a way that no one is be willing to help you. Hallelujah. It's going to get better. Hallelujah. He didn't help anybody and nobody helped him. Hallelujah. Verse 16 says, he considered eating the same food that the pigs ate. In other words, you can live your life so raggedy and jacked up and nasty enough that you start consider doing certain things in your normal state of living you wouldn't have considered doing. In your normal state of living, you would have not considered doing because you're living your life so raggedy and so low, so below God's standards that you find yourself hoovering over hog pen and the pig food is starting to look good. You're in a place of want. And so never say what you won't do when you're in a place of want. When you're at a place where you left the confines of your father and now you're hoovering over a hog pen and you're saying, you're starting to think about doing something that you normally would have not did. In other words, you get to a place where you start entertaining being with somebody that you know you have never would consider being with because you're at that place of lowness, that raggedness, that nasty, disrespectful life because I've left the confounds of my father and I'm in need of one and I'm hoovering over a hog pen. This is what this, this, this young man found himself. He was in want. He thought he knew everything, like a lot of us. We leave the confounds of our father, we leave the confounds of our parents because we thought we know it all. And we find ourselves out there in want. Hoovering over a hog pen. Start considering eating the pig stuff. We come to a place that we're so in need of one, we start considering doing things that we would normally have not done. We've all been there. Some of us hadn't fell in the hog pen, some of us fell in it. Let me finish. Hallelujah. But I like what verse 17 says. It makes a shift. He makes a shift. And this is what we should be praying for. He came to himself. And I don't know about you, but that should be your prayer, like my prayer. How many of you are praying for people to come to themselves? How many, people, how many, how many of you are praying for people around you to come to themselves? See, it's something when you come to, your, come to yourself. And a lot of us have been over there, over the hog pen. But thank God we came to ourselves. 
See, it's amazing when you come to yourself and you gather yourself and you realize the confines what you left from your father's house. There was far better out there hoovering over a hog pen. I'm saying to you right now, come to yourself. Come to a place in your life. Come to a region in your life that you consider, that you would say, my parents did not raise me to live my life like this. God did not intend for me to live my life like this. Come to yourself. He started considering doing something that in his normal state of living, he would not have considered doing. But thank God he came to himself. Thank God he came to himself. Hallelujah. Again, how many of y'all praying that people you know are coming to themselves, will come to themselves? That's it. Pray that you come to yourself. God didn't intend for you to live your life like this. He didn't intend for you to live below his standard. Some of you are hanging out with people that's way below your destiny that God had intended for your life. You're holding over the hog pen. And I'm not saying that you think you're better than them, but that's what God didn't call you to live your life that way. You're hanging out with people that's below your destiny. And God is saying, come to yourself. I'm here with open arms to receive you. Come to yourself. Come to a place in the region in your life that you realize I didn't call you to live like that. We accepted some meat and bread that God did not intend for us to be our meal. We're hanging out there with people that's below our destiny. And God's saying, come to yourself. Come to yourself. And that's what that young man did. He came to himself. Ask your neighbor when you're going to come to yourself. Come to yourself. Come to yourself. He was hanging out with people that was below his destiny. I got a quick story. There was a young man that, from birth, raised a, a pig and a sheep. And he raised them till they were full grown. And for whatever reason, now when he raised these, these, these animals, two animals, the sheep never saw the pasture. The hog never saw the, the slop, the pen. Never been a part of it. So when they got at a certain age, he took them both to the hog pen for whatever reason. And he took the hog to see what he would do. And he pushed the hog in the slop. And to his amaze, the hog started backstroking, swimming, having fun. Because that was his normal habitat. That was his normal place. He was used to being in the hog pit. He was used to being there. But to his amaze, when he threw that sheep in, when that sheep hit the mud, and instantly that sheep get the, started to cry out, this is not me. This is not where I'm supposed to be. This is uncomfortable. This is not my natural habitat. If anything, if you know anything about sheep, sheep's supposed to graze the land in freedom. Pastors, as far as the eye can see, being led by a shepherd. So that's what I mean when we're hanging out with people that's below our destiny. They're comfortable with being in the hog pen. That's where they want to be. They hadn't came to themselves. But you come to yourself and you realize the hog pen is not for you. Come to yourself. Come to yourself. And this is what I like. Verse, let's go to verse 18. No, verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, this is something about when you come to yourself. He said, how many of my, how many of my father's hired servants have bread? Not only bread, but enough to spare. And I'm over here perishing with hunger. 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants? In other words, my father has workers that are living better than me. And I'm over here perishing in hunger. Come to yourself. He came to himself and he realized the confines of the protection that he had left home. Because he thought he knew it all. He realized that his father, the lowest of the lowest workers, was doing better than him. And he was over there perishing. This is what I like. Verse 18 said, reads, I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, this joker came to himself. And how you know that he came to himself? Because he realized he had to repent it before God and repent it before the people that he hurt. You know a person hadn't come to themselves when they don't see nothing wrong with the sin that they're in. When they try to use scripture to justify them laying in the hog pen. But this joker came to himself. And he realized he had to repent before God. And before heaven. And before the people he hurt. He came to himself. He came to himself. Thank God we're coming to ourselves. And that's what God is waiting for us to come to ourselves. He said, how many of my, he recited what he was going to do. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread and enough to eat? He said, I will rise and go to my father. He simply said, he simply recited in his mind what he was going to do. He was going to get before his father when he met him. He said, father, I just need a job. I just need a job. That title of son, you don't even have to restore me to that. I, I'm not even worthy for that. I just want to get back into your fold. I just want to get into your presence. I went out there in the world and the world chewed me up and spit me out. They didn't mean me no good. I thought I knew what I was doing, but I didn't know. I knew protection was in your house. I knew everything that I needed was in your house, but because of my flesh, it led me astray. As long as I had everything, it was, I was all right with everybody. As long as I was making it rain, everybody was around me. But as soon as it left and I was in want, they chewed me up and spit me out. They had me hoovering over a hog pen. That I was considered thinking about doing something that I know you didn't raise me to do. I know that was not in my DNA, but I almost went there. Lord, just restore me. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. But I just need to get back in the house. I need to get back in the house. See, he came with the proper attitude. He came with a humble position, submitting and realize what he had did. Some of you come back and say, look, I'm back. You ought to be glad I'm back. Don't even ask me about the money. But no, he came in a humble submission position because he realized he had messed up. And he realized he had left the protection and the confounds of where his father was. And he was living way below what he was designed to live. There was love and protection in the father's house. Hallelujah. Now this one should catch your eye. But yet while he still was a far way off, the father saw him. Let me say that again. Yet while he still was a far way off, that's what the scripture said, the father saw him. And this is what I want to say. This is what God's saying to you. Yet while you still a far way off, I see you. 
while you're still over there hoovering over the hog field, doing some direct dis- disrespectful things, some nasty, raggedy things, I still see you. God sees you. God said that he know what you did when you did what you did. He sees you. We can't hide from God. We can't get in a car and drive away from him. We can't get in a plane and fly away from him. We can't run so, so, so far that he doesn't see us. He sees us. The Father sees us. But here's the thing. Even while you're still in your mess, he sees you. But he loves you. He loves you. He's there with open arms to receive you. The Father loves you that much. He loves you. Yet while you're still in your mess, and the enemy comes to, to, to beat you down that he can't forgive you. You are nobody. The Father loves you. All he's waiting for you to come to yourself. All he's waiting for you to come to yourself. Come to yourself. Hallelujah. You can't hide from him. And while he still was a great way off, it said the Father saw him. I think the fact that that father, the fact that fathers, that when your children see you, I think the fact that fathers, you need to allow your kids to see you, see them while they're in their moments of shining. I think that's an important point. That fathers, that your kids see you, see them while they're in their moments of shining, while they're doing their best. That's the important thing. And I think fathers need to make whatever sacrifice you need to do to see your kids shining in their moments of shining, doing their best to encourage them. Whatever sacrifice. I don't want to hear about, she won't let me see her. They got the court system. Do what you got to do. I was in that situation. Do what you got to do. Can't nobody, no devil in hell keep you. If you trust God, he will make a way. So I, I believe whatever sacrifice a father needs to make to see their kids, because it's important that your kids see you, see them in their moments of shine. Your presence. I just showed you what your presence do. How strong and mighty you are. If you're in those kids' life, you can shape and mold them. The blueprint is the word of God. Hallelujah. And yet why he was still a far way off. His father seen him making the right decision coming back home and that's what we need to that's what our kids need to see see us see them making the right decision making the right choice see parents we forget we forget at one time we was young we forget that we was young we forget we was out there drugging drinking tricking me and you was trying to tap everything was out there you forget about that but what a child needs is compassion from their father That child needs compassion. It's easy to talk about them. It's easy to condemn them. It's easy to throw them away. But what that child needs is compassion. No wonder they can't accomplish many things in this world. Because they need compassion. But what we want to do, we want to tear them down. But we forget that one time we needed compassion. And we were showed compassion. That child needs compassion. Hallelujah. That's what a child needs. The love of a father. Because in that story it said, yet why he was still a far way off. When he was making the right decision. When he was turning, like Apostle Keith said, about repentance. It's not just turning around. But it's turning around and turning to God. So he was turning around and heading back to his father's house. 
which represents God. He was making the right decision. He was returning back to his father. And his father showed him compassion. His father showed him compassion. Verse 20, I'm going to jump to verse 20 and it says, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be closing pretty soon. It says, but when he still was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he, 21 said, and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The father had compassion. His, his father had compassion. No doubt he had compassion. And we must show our kids compassion. Because they are faced so, with so much in this world than when we was young. They're faced with so much as a 9, a 10, a 12, and a 13, 14-year-old. No wonder they can't accomplish much in this world. But again, what they need is compassion. The fact that God loves you and he showed you compassion. you here this morning. That shows that he shows compassion. You didn't have to wake up this morning. But he had compassion on all of us to wake us up this morning. I'm talking about compassion. You need to understand as jacked up and raggedy as your life, God still showed you compassion. While you still was in your mess, God showed you compassion. When he could have took taken you out, he showed compassion. When you was lost out of your mind, moving over hog pen, he showed you compassion. So that's what a child needs on this Father's Day from the fathers. Because the fathers are being reinstated back into their operating position as the head. Show compassion. Show love. Be vulnerable before those kids. Let those kids see a tear. That's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of love and protection. In the father's house. That's what every child should feel and cling to in their homes when there's a father there. Amen? And what I like, I'm jumping down to 15. Verse 5, uh, chapter 15, verse 22 and 23, and I'm about, to, I'm about to close. But I like this part. It said, his father dressed him. The father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf. Bring the best calf. Not just any ordinary calf, but the fatted calf. The calf that was fed extra. Because guess what? We're about to eat and be merry. He dressed him. He said to his servants, bring out the best robe. Y'all know what a robe does? A robe covers. A robe covers. If you come to my house about 2, 3 in the morning knocking on the door, if I open it, I'm not going to answer the door with a suit on or a jogging pant. I'm going to answer with a robe. Because it covers. So the father covered him. He gave him a robe. See, a father should hide the inadequacies of the children, the weakness of, a ch- of their children. And that's what, this, that's what this father did. Even though he was out there doing all sorts of things, all kind of things that the, the human mind could, could not even up, apprehend or understand, he covered it. He came to him and said, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of the high servants. Father didn't pay no attention. He hugged him around the neck and he told, he brought him in. He said, he told his servant, get him the best robe. We're going to cover him. He covered him. He covered his weaknesses. He covered whatever he was doing. He didn't expose it to the world. 
He didn't tell everybody. He didn't back, beat him down. He didn't embarrass him before anybody. He covered him. And that's what God is doing you. That's what God has done to us. He covered us. He could have easily exposed us to the world, the stuff we were doing, but he covered us. Just like this son. The father covered him. And he said he covered him. Then he gave him a ring. Somebody say ring. A ring means identification. It connects you. It means I'm connected. It identified me as being taken. I belong to you. You belong to me. In spite of all that you've done, in spite of all the pain and all the shame that you have brought to this family, I'm putting a ring on your, on your hand, still symbolizing that, guess what? Regardless of what you did, I'm still going to call you my son. You're still my son. I identify with you. You identify with me. You are my son. I don't care what has happened. You're still connected to me. That's what the ring means. Identification. Anybody in there married? That's what that mean, means. I'm for you. You for me. Identification. Hallelujah. In spite of all the shame that you brought to this family, all the pain, I'm still willing to call you my child. That's what God is saying. With all that you have done, I'm still willing to call you my child. I'm still willing to identify with you. I don't care what you did. That's how much I love you. That's how much I love you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so he put a robe on him to cover him. He put a ring on him to identify with him. Then he said, bring the sandals out and put the sandals on his feet. And sandals mean direction. See, it was one point in time that this young man wasn't following the direction of his father. He wasn't trying to listen to the direction of his father. But now he's putting on the sandals that his father is offering to accept the direction, to accept the path that his father is willing to take him on, and he's willing to follow it because he realized out there was nothing compared to where he is. So he got his attention. So he's willing to, to accept the path that his father is willing to take him. So he's putting on his sandals. It means new direction. He's willing to take that direction. Hallelujah. And so I'm closing. But one thing I want to say is that before I close to the young generation, listen to your parents. Your parents are not trying to kill you. Your parents are not trying to spoil your fun. What they're doing is simply trying to keep you from making the same mistakes that they made. That's what they're doing. You might think they'd be overbearing because what I've learned, the culture has changed, clothes has changed, but trouble is still the same. So you're saying that they don't know. They, they old. They don't know. Trouble hasn't changed. Trouble still has the same DNA. You know, your parents at that time, they may have went, wore your bow jeans, and now you're wearing those skinny legs. That's all the thing that changed. Trouble, trouble is still the same. Trouble hasn't changed. And that's what they're simply doing, trying to keep you from making the same mistakes. I can sit here as a 52-year-old, and I remember my father telling, tell me some things. And I was like, man, he done lost his mind. He don't know what he's talking about. But I'm here to tell you now. He knew what he was talking about. <laughs> I wasn't willing to take the direction. I wasn't willing to li uh, listen. 
so it caused me some mishaps. I'm trying to keep you young people from making that same mistake. They know what they're talking about. They've been through it. They may not tell you everything, but they've been through it. Yeah. My son asked me, Dad, what's some of the things you did? Coming up, I say, son, honestly, I don't want to tell you because I don't think you would respect me in the morning. <laughs> but I did share it with him because I guess what? He had to know. And I had nothing to hide from him. But I told him that if you make these mistakes, this was what happened. But if you listen to the direction that I'm trying to give you, according to the word of God, according to the change in my life, it's not me, it's because of God. I can help you. Amen. So some of you young people, uh, and as I close, all I know is some of the people that's in this building today that are still a far way off. Some of the people that's online may still be a far way off. But God is here with open arms to receive you. I don't care if you're hoovering over a hog pen. I don't care if you fell in the hog pen. We're praying that you come to yourself and you come to yourself. Come to a place where you realize God did not call you to live that way. You're hanging out with people that's way below your destiny. And God is saying, come to yourself. Come to the confines of me. Come to my protection. Here I am with open arms to receive you. I love you that much. And so if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's here with open arms to receive you. He's here with open arms to receive you. If you don't know him, if you're still a far way off and don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come to yourself. Come to the protection of your Father. And for those that was in the Father's house and couldn't sit up under the rules of the Father and thought they knew it all and asked for their inheritance without understanding why Jesus died and he went off to a far country and joined themselves to a citizen of that country. He took off his citizenship. How many know his believers? We're not citizens of this world. He took off his citizenship of heaven to take on the citizenship of the world. We should not be citizens of this world. We're just passing through. So anybody that's a if you go to another country right now and you're not a citizen of that country, you're going to look funny. You're going to talk funny. They're not going to understand you. So guess what? As believers, they're, not, they're going to laugh at us. They're not going to understand us. They got to, you got to understand we're not citizens of this country. We're not citizens of this world. We're just passing through. So he gave up his citizenship to do whatever. And if that's you, you left the confines of your father. Because you thought you knew it all. You thought you had it going on. You thought you could do it better than what God could do. And you found yourself way out there. He's here with open arms to receive you. He's here with open arms to receive you. Hallelujah. And if you have been visiting here at Elevate, first, second, third, fourth, or however many times, and God has pressed upon your heart to join, to tabernacle here, to fellowship with us here at Elevate. If that's you, raise your hand. Hallelujah. I always say this. Here at Elevate is a church where you just don't join, but we join with you to help you, encourage you, to pray for you, to hear, to listen, to show you Christ. 
again. The son, he came in a humbling position. He said, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your servant. Just make me like one of the high servants. I just want to get into the house. I just want to get back into your confines. And so I'm telling you right now, don't let the enemy beat you down because you may have failed. You may be hoovering over the hog pen right now. You may have fallen into the hog pen. But guess what? Even in your mess, he still loves you. Even while you're in your distress, in your mess, he's not going to bring it up. He's not going to bring it up. People will. They say he has a sea of unforgiveness what he deal with those things. He passed it in there and never to bring it up. People going to bring up your stuff. But that doesn't matter. God will never be. Bring it up. He loves you that much. So guess what? You have to understand, even while you're in your mess, God doesn't see you in your mess. He sees you where he called you to. He sees where, you, where, you, where he has purposed you to. Just like Gideon. We was talking the other night, Apostle. While Gideon was in his stronghold, wilding out, the Lord Jesus was sitting on the, the turban near the tree watching Gideon. In his, in his stronghold, wilding out. And you know what he said to Gideon? He said, oh, mighty man of battle. That's what God sees you, even in your midst. Oh, mighty man of battle. Oh, woman of God. I called you for greater things. I'm not looking at where you at. I'm looking at where you're going to. I'm speaking life and destiny into you. Come to yourself. Come to that region of life that you know I didn't call you for this. I have greater things for you. Hallelujah. And so I pray today that this message has touched your heart in some way to understand how important the love of the Father is. That God loves you so much. There's nothing that you could ever do that can stop him from loving you. That can keep him from loving you. There's nothing that you can put in front of him that he won't move to keep him from loving you. That's how much he loves you. That's my time. Would you stand? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Hallelujah. 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 Let us bow our head as I pray you out. Lord, I thank you, Father God, for the message. I pray, Father God, that no one was entertained. I pray, Father God, that the word, Father God, be embedded in their hearts, Father God. That they will lead with something, Father God, to impact, Father God, others that they come in contact with, Father God. I pray that you cover us and protect us as we travel to our designated places, Father God. And Lord, we continue to give you glory and honor, Father God, on this wonderful Father's Day as we acknowledge you as the Father of our lives, Father God. And Lord, I thank you for all fathers, Father God, who, who have stepped up, Father God, and operating their position, Father God. And I thank you, Father God, for the bonus dads. I don't use the word stepfather, but those bonus dads that have stepped up, Father God, and operate, Father God, in purpose, Father God, and in, in, in sacrifices, Father God. Did, Father God, what you call them to do as a man, Father God, even though there's no blood relationship, Father God. But we're all connected by the blood of Christ Jesus, Father God. I give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be dismissed. Thank you. A pop. Oh, I'm sorry. Remember? Okay. Also, next Sunday at 9.15 is our 
class for the uh, next step. Next step members. It's important. Come on. It's important that you attend that class. Yes, ma'am. Oh, hold tight. There's gifts for all the fathers. Not the mothers, but the fathers. Outside, outside there. 